0: This reading from Genesis 28 is about a dream. I wonder if you keep a record of your dreams. When I can remember, I write mine down, nothing with masks in them yet. But it's interesting to see where some of the content in my dreams comes from. Maybe something that happened in my day, or perhaps if I spend time with it, the dream can show different parts of me that I wasn't consciously aware of, parts of me that are perhaps anxious, angry, or my hopes, And God speaks through those. This dream is perhaps no exception, especially when you realise the story that's running in the background is about betrayal, threats of murder, escape, and fearing what may happen in a cultural context of an awareness of the power of God. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and travelled towards Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. He found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've finished giving you everything I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up very early He took the stone he had rested his head against and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. He named that place Bethel, which means house of God. The peace of the Lord be with us.
1: You are probably aware that our society, the one that we live in, is prone to conspiracy theories like few others since the Scientific Revolution. It was common for ancient societies to believe in conspiracy and folklore and superstition, but not people in modernity, or so it seemed. America, more than any other nation in the world, is run amuck with suspicion. And it's not just about the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, which we should all probably have questions about, or the moon landing, which was supposedly staged in the desert near Las Vegas. It's everywhere and seemingly everything. Now, here are a few of America's leading conspiracy theories. Would you like to hear these today? Number one, mattress firm is a front for money laundering. Because there are so many of them in so many small towns, and people cannot possibly be buying that many mattresses. <laughs> we'll have to ask Jeff Allen, our mattress expert, about that one. Number two, the Denver Airport was constructed by the Illuminati and, and Masons, Bobby, and it is used not so much as a transportation hub, but as a broadcast center for mind control beams. Exactly. It's true. All right. Number three, and this one's common, we are being poisoned by the chemical trails that f- that flow from government airplanes and jets. That one's been around a long time. Uh, Elvis never died. We know, it. we know it. I saw him pumping gas just a couple weeks ago in Andalusia. Uh, this one really... Uh, and, Garrett, you've been... You, you were there in the aftermath of this natural disaster. The Joplin, Missouri, tornado of 2011... Was not a tornado, but a U.S. military experiment with a high-frequency blast weapon. Even though there's footage of the tornadoes, yeah. There are multiple theories about 9/11, the death of Princess Diana, Bigfoot, Bill Gates, 5G networks. Lord, I can go on and on. And don't even get me started on the subject of the coronavirus. Your doctor is not putting a chip inside your brain if he has to swab you for the coronavirus. Why are we so susceptible to conspiracy? I'm sure that most folks harmlessly, harmlessly believe in a conspiracy theory or two, but why is this country such a hotbed of suspicion and angst? Well, there are a few reasons. One, we are supremely individualistic and inherently distrustful of authority, for one. So if someone is telling me what to do, they must have a malicious controlling intent. Uh, in mind. Two, we are the most apocalyptic society in the known world today. And even though we live in the wealthiest and in one of the safest countries of the world, we have this apocalyptic mindset, particularly in fundamentalism, Christianity, that things are only going to get worse and there's no way to stop it. And it opens us up to all kinds of self-fulfilling nightmares. And three, and I say this with as much respect as I can muster, We are ignorant, and I don't mean stupid in all cases. We are simply uneducated. We're uneducated about science, about history, about geography, so we are easy marks when it comes to this prolific misinformation that is spewed constantly across the airways and across our digital screens. Well, here is the leading conspiracy theory of all. Are you ready for this? The top conspiracy of all time in North America. Anybody have a guess? There's a few of you here. Anybody want to take a guess? A big, uh, aliens. aliens. Garrett McHugh, you win the prize. Aliens. Little green men from Mars. Extraterrestrials, UFOs, Area 51, Abduction by Spaceship, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, a movie that I love. And all the outer space geekery that that comes along with that. And according to theorists, these aliens have been around for a long time. Not just since that alleged crash of a spaceship in 1947 outside of Roswell, New Mexico. There's even a long-standing television show on the History Channel, and I know Tim watches it, entitled him ancient aliens the view is that aliens gave us our common architecture our common uh, often languages the myths of superheroes and the greek gods and the mayan temples and the complete creation stories and yes aliens even appear in the bible now you you garrett's chuckling behind the camera right now but it is true there is this very vocal minority. And I've encountered a few of these folks online. And they say that the Bible is documented proof of alien interaction. Even alien abduction. And, it has, and and that we have morphed it into religion. Ezekiel, they say, saw a strange vision of God. Wheels within wheels. Colors that included every spectrum of the rainbow. Strange creatures flying around heaven. It has to be aliens. Elijah was taken to heaven in a fiery chariot. Enoch disappeared from the face of the earth, alien abduction. Every angel you read about in the scriptures is an alien visitor. Satan, the devil, he was a particularly vicious alien who brought evil into our world. The mysterious power that animated the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark's mysterious disappearance, all powered by aliens. And some even go as far as to identify Jesus as an alien himself. Far and away, the favorite cons- conspiracy theory within this conspiracy theory is the story Anna read for us today from Genesis Jacob and his angelic ladder. Now, here's the conspiratorial and radical explanation. Jacob is sleeping soundly in the Canaanite backcountry. What he perceives as a dream is nothing less than a great UFO making first contact. The angels going up and down the ladder are extraterrestrials pulsing with light, descending from the ramp of a spaceship and the leader at the top, E.T. or Mork or Spock or Thor, is one of those standing there making promises. Now if I sound unconvinced, you would be correct. But don't take my snarky, Skepticism as disbelief in Jacob's story. Just disbelief in how they are telling that story. I'm not discounting mystery, wonder at all when I read this text in Genesis 28. In fact, I am embracing it. Now, I don't know if aliens exist or not. In a universe this size, probably so. But what if I told you That Jacob's experience here in Genesis 28 was something even more extraordinary than an encounter of the third kind. And I told you I love that movie. It's an encounter of the divine kind. And even more extraordinary, it's an encounter waiting for each of us. Now, that's not a jack wagon story or a conspiracy theory. It's a story waiting to be written and lived And told by each person who chooses that experience. You could go your whole life and never see a UFO or experience an extraterrestrial. You should not go your whole life without experiencing the wondrous more. A phrase coined a century and a half ago by William James to describe God. The wondrous, mysterious more. When I was writing a book about Jesus use of the kingdom of God several years ago, I was struggling with the title, and publishers and editors are always wanting something quippy, a uh, you know wise phrase you know that'll just make books fly off the shelf. And since the book was about heaven coming to Earth, not about a specialized group of space travelers leaving Earth for heaven, which is tragically the predominant view of the Christian faith in North America. I wanted the title to communicate this change of perspective, and my editor settled on the title that the book has today, How Far Is Heaven? And I liked it, and I still like it, but it wasn't my first choice. In researching a book title, I'd come across a phrase by Henry David Thoreau, and you can always count on Thoreau. It's from his book on Walden Pond. And you might remember, remember that Thoreau moved to this sparse cabin in the New England woods as an act of self-discovery. And he wrote this early in Walden, quoting him. Boy, I, I'm going to quote him, but I wish I could do this sometimes. I wish all of us could have this. Listen to what he says. I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately. To front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what life had to teach, and not when I came to die to discover that I had not actually lived. I wanted to live deep and suck out all the marrow of life, to live sturdily, to cut a broad swath and shave close, to drive life into a corner to know it by experience, and to be able to give a true account of it. And what was the lesson that he learned? Many lessons. But one of the most crucial is that heaven is everywhere that you look for it. This world, this life, is brimming over with God. And Thoreau talks about taking a walk one day in the winter woods. And the snow was deep. And he went down to Walden Pond. And the ice on top of the pond was a foot thick. And he took an axe and he cut through the snow and he cut through the ice. And he took a handful of that freezing water from beneath the ice to drink it. And he was just overcome with the beauty of the world. And he says, there is waveless serenity. Amber twilight, and then the phrase I love. Heaven is under our feet as well as over our heads. He was saying, heaven, God, is everywhere for those who will look and for those who will experience it. Was that not Jacob's experience? Jacob is at a most difficult place when we find him in this text. Most of it self-inflicted. He has just stolen the family inheritance from his dying father, whom he will never see alive again. And he is now estranged from his older brother, whose share he swindled. And he has taken to the road to save his own neck. And this is grace, for even in his meat-headed conniving, God is still going to visit him. Jacob is exhausted over what he has done. Over the distance that he has traveled, he's so tired that a rock will work as a pillow. And in a dream, God visits him along with Robert Plant and Jimmy Page. And the rest of Let no, of course not. But Stairway to Heaven, which Robert Plant and Jimmy Page wrote, was inspired by this very text, Jacob's Ladder. He sees the stairway to heaven. And God says to Jacob, summarizing, I am here. I am the God of your ancestors, your father, your grandfather. Where you now sleep, this land will be yours. Your children and your grandchildren, their children, their grandchildren will fill this space. Through you, I will bless the entire world, and I will be with you always. Now, for a kid on the lamb, that's a pretty good divine visit and a pretty good encouraging word. He certainly didn't deserve it, but that's the kind of kindness that he received. He wakes up, he takes that stone that has been his pillow that he has been resting his weary head on and he turns it into a monument and he names it Bethel. We call it Bethel, that's that's fine as long as you don't go to the Holy Land and call it Bethel because they'll they'll correct you. Bethel, two words, house God. Bethel, the house of God. And he says the most extraordinarily honest thing Surely the Lord is in this place? And I wasn't even aware of it. So it's a wonder that God would encounter a human being. We're talking about a visitation from a completely different otherworldly realm. But the wonder of wonders is that God would encounter a human being, a visit from a completely different otherworldly realm, and the person would not recognize it as a divine visit. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. In the Celtic Christian tradition, they have a simple explanation for this sort of place where heaven and earth collide. And real quick, Celtic Christianity is that flavor of our faith that is very Irish and Gaelic and Scottish. And it is associated most closely with St. Patrick. And the Gaelic and the Irish were simply too far away from Rome To be influenced by Western Catholicism, they lived at the very edge of the world, and because of that, a very wild and feral brand of Christianity grew up there. Talk about free range. And it was more in tune with nature than cathedrals, more comfortable with silence and reflection than sermons and catechism. It was more observant and engaged instead of being more... Compliant and passive. And Celtic Christianity, rather than explaining God or attempting to explain God, was in search of experiencing God. And where heaven and earth seemed to meet, they called these places thin places. Meaning that the dividing barrier, the curtain between this world that we see and hear and taste and smell and feel and the transcendent world beyond the world of mystery and wonder and the inexplicable, the barrier is so sparse, so completely clear that the two mingle together and the result is more akin to just indescribable astonishment rather than some kind of rote and taught worship. And in the aftermath of such experiences... It's probably wrong to describe them It cannot be done They can only be shared They can only be celebrated Bethel was just such a place Jacob and the biblical writer here Using the best words they had The best reporting that they could muster And even though people were unlikely to believe them Like they were raining conspiracy nuts Jacob knew he had encountered something of the divine Now You don't have to travel today to the West Bank of Palestine where you would find the ancient site of Bethel or go to some Druid gathering site turned Christian in County Down, Northern Ireland to experience a thin place where heaven and earth meet, where humanity and divinity collide. God is everywhere. But we are often like Jacob. Surely the Lord is in this place And I wasn't even aware of it. It's not a lack of God. It's not a lack of God's presence or God's goodness. It is a lack of awareness. It is a lack of observation. It is Jesus quoting the prophets to to His disciples in the Gospel of Mark. He said to His disciples, You do not understand. Your hearts are too hard to take it in. You have eyes, but you cannot see. You have ears, but you cannot hear. Maybe we are so earthly, so obsessed with what we can eat or buy or drink or conquer or earn that we have failed to develop our hearts, our ears, and our eyes for the times and places that God still speaks. I feel like I'm rambling today, but maybe it's just a new environment. Um, But here's where I am these days. Here's where I am these days will God enter the world in dramatic fashion? Will God interject God's self or intervene doing for me what I want God to do? Maybe. Maybe not. I certainly don't think that god is as much of a direct interventionalist as some others do you know that if i just have to pray the right prayer make the right promise sacrifice the right goat to god then god will act on my behalf but that doesn't mean that i don't believe in the wondrous more it doesn't mean that i don't believe that heaven and earth are somehow some way mysteriously and essentially connected It doesn't mean that I don't believe that God is the ground and source of all our being. It doesn't mean that I've given up on God being the universal reality that holds the cosmos together and that Jesus Christ is the clearest incarnation and manifestation of the foundation of all things. And yes, stories like Jacob's are the exception, not the norm. But this doesn't mean you can't or won't experience God. God is everywhere. And God will be found if one is looking for God. Where? If God's everywhere, where is God? Well, have you ever held a newborn baby? Have you? Have you ever quietly watched the sun rise early in the morning? Have you ever held the hand of a loved one who readily and peacefully passed from this world to the next one have you ever helped a person that was poor or incarcerated or needy and they had no possible way of ever paying you back and you helped them and you recognize in their face and you recognize in your in their eyes that moment of grace and that moment of appreciation that is just a spark of the divine have you ever alleviated even for the slightest moment the pain of someone suffering have you ever been to a wedding You ever been to a baptism? Ever been to a bar mitzvah? Have you ever looked across the Grand Canyon? Have you ever sat in the middle of an ocean lost in the magnificent smallness of who you are? Have you ever beheld a perfect work of art? Have you ever met one of those rare, beautiful, whole, incorruptible people who are filled with nothing but faith, hope, and love? Have you ever sat and looked across the Choctaw Bay for hours? Answer yes to any of these. And you must also have to say, surely the Lord is in this place, but I wasn't aware of it. Because these are the ways that God enters the world. A devout woman lived in a small village and she prayed to God regularly. She read the scriptures. She was so eager to encounter and to know God. And like Jacob, one night she fell asleep and God came to her. In a dream, and God said to her, "My dear child, I'm coming to visit you tomorrow. Your prayers have been answered." She awoke immediately, though it was early, early in the morning, practically middle of the night. And what did she do? Well, she started acting like Tim Riles, getting ready for church. Here, she started cleaning her house and putting out carpets and cleaning the windows. He did all those things this morning and getting a house perfect she he, she got involved working in the flower bed she started preparing these this most sumptuous meal that she could prepare middle middle of the morning there's a knock at the door and a little delivery boy from the from the butcher brought her something for the meal and the food smelled so good and she was so busy that he just wanted to linger and watch and she said no she shooed him away because she was busy and then middle of the day a knock at the door and she went to the door and it was her neighbor and she was concerned because her husband had just fallen subtly ill and she needed some help getting getting him to the doctor's office. And the, the woman who was preparing the meal said, I, you know, I just can't help you right now. I'm expecting the most important visitor. And then late in the day, another knock at the door. And it was just a teenage girl. She was selling these little cheap scarves and single flowers. And the woman said to her, I'm sorry, dear. I don't have time for any trinkets today. Afternoon became evening. Evening became night. Clock strikes midnight. God never shows. She's exhausted. She's disappointed. She cries herself to sleep. Asleep, God comes to her in her dream again. And she meets God in her dream and she says, Lord, how could you not keep your word? You said you were coming to visit me and you did not. And God said to her, My dear child, I visited you three times today. I came as a little boy with a delivery who really didn't need food, but he needed company. I came to you as a hurting neighbor who was afraid, who needed someone to help them in their time of need. I came to you as a teenage girl, penniless, trying to make enough money to buy bread for the day. She is at the mercy of the streets. I come to you every day, but only if you have eyes, ears, and the heart to recognize me will you ever see me? Amen to that.